Today we are talking about parables. This is our fourth in a series about parables where we're talking about one different parable a week. There are small teachings of Jesus where we get to learn from. In fact, he gave about 35 to 38, depending on how you count them, parables. These stories are where he illustrated what the kingdom of God was like and what we're supposed to do in the meantime. So let's see what we can learn today. I remember when I was younger, I got this gift. Some of you guys maybe have gotten this. I got a bow and arrow set, that uh, arrow that had like the suction cup on the end of it. And I remember I was so excited. I ran immediately outside and I found my sister and I shot her with it. I was disappointed because it didn't stick. And let me just say she was a little disappointed herself that I shot her. Immediately what I found was an adult figure in my life grabbing that arrow and he was going to use this arrow to teach me a lesson, a little behavior modification, if you will. And I remember running from the arrow. (laughs) Throughout my childhood, I had other behavior modification lessons as well. This is something that we've all experienced, right? We are all really good at monitoring and modifying our behavior, aren't we? Throughout life, we learn to monitor and modify our behavior, and we're pretty good at it. But then every once in a while, from out of nowhere, or it seems, we say and we do the dumbest things. And we even say sometimes, I don't know where that came from. And people around us are like, I know where that came from. Right there, that thing in your mouth that does this, right? And when we say that, what we're really saying is it's, not me. I, I don't think that way. I don't feel that way. And we say, where did that come from? Why did I say that? So where does all this stuff come from? That's what we're going to talk about today. Your heart. There's a guy named Solomon in the Old Testament. He wrote all kinds of things about all kinds of things. Some viewed him or still do view him as the wisest person who ever lived. And out of all of those things that he wrote and topics that he wrote about, he wrote the book of Proverbs and he says this, above all all else. Above all else, guard your heart. He's saying, I've said a lot of things, but everything that I've said, I want you to guard your heart. So we would say, well, Solomon, why is that such a big deal? Well, it's because he says, for everything you do flows from it. Everything, everything, everything you do flows from it. Now, what if that's true? And this isn't even like a religious thought, but what if, what if everything we do erupts from or flows from something that's on the inside of us? If everything we do, it it originates within. If that's the case, then learning to guard the within part because it impacts the without part would be super important. So the question would be, what does it look like to guard your heart? Well, a thousand years later, after Solomon wrote this, one day Jesus is with his disciples and they're doing their thing and they're teaching and they're healing people. And wherever Jesus went, a crowd followed, actually more like a cloud of people. On the outside of this crowd was religious leaders, Sadducees, Pharisees, teachers of the law, priests, high priests, all kinds of people. And they would all be on the outside of the crowd. And their goal was always to trick Jesus and to drive a wedge between him and the crowd so that once they did that, they could isolate him and they could actually arrest him. Because as long as there was a crowd, the religious leaders weren't allowed. But every once in a while, they would work their way in and they would say to Jesus, I have a question, I have a question. And it was always trick questions, which actually makes reading the Gospels fascinating. 
So one of these days, one of them made their way up to the front of the crowd and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Okay, (laughs) come on. Like the most talked about things, right? Today, yeah. What's up with not washing your hands? Well, I want to tell you just a little bit about what they're referring to in the Old Testament. There's a law that the priest and the high priest and anyone that was to do sacred work before God, they had to do certain ceremonial washings to make sure that they were always ready to do God's work because you didn't want to touch something unclean and then do God's work. So your hands had to constantly be clean. So over time, what they did is they took this law for certain people and made it more of a tradition or a rule that they imposed on everyone. So over time, the leaders tried moving that from just them to everyone. And so in this instance, Jesus isn't breaking one of their laws. He just wasn't paying attention to one of their traditions because it was made up. So then Jesus replied with this. He says, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother. But you say that if anyone declares what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, that they're not to honor their father and mother with it. Now, those who were listening right now knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. And when we read this, we say, I have no idea what he is talking about. It's because they created this little crafty tradition. This tradition that what they would do is they would give everything that they had to the temple and they would donate and dedicate that to the temple. Um, And so that way it already had a place that it was going to go. And so then what they were able to do is, well, they were still alive. They would live on it. And But if these things ahead of time were donated to the temple, it was just for them to use. It's a little tradition they created. And it was really quite difficult back then because uh, a mother and father, they would come and they, you know, as they got older and they needed things and they needed to be taken care of, they would come and say, hey, can you take care of me? And what would happen is they would say, no, 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 sorry. There's no giving while I'm living. I've already given to the temple. I can't take care of you. They've made this little tradition that it's only to take care of myself. And so it was really kind of awful Uh, this tradition that they had. And so God's calling this out. Jesus, in the form of God, is calling this out in these Pharisees and Sadducees and the teachers of the law. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your stupid, I added that word, tradition, you hypocrites. You came up with a rule to nullify the command of God to honor your mother and your father. So now what happens is they shrink back into the crowd with their heads down because they feel like humiliated and they're like, who came up with that stupid question? They're like, oh, I I thought you said it was a really good question. So now Jesus turns to just the crowd. He says, now listen to me. I want to make sure you understand what just actually happened between me and those religious leaders. Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, listen and understand. What goes in someone's mouth does not defile them. Because the issue was touching unclean things, touching food and putting it into your mouth, cleanliness rules. And it was also, it was a big deal what kind of food that you actually put in your mouth. Even today, some Jewish people are very strict about what they eat. He's saying, when you put the wrong thing in your mouth, it does not defile you or make you unworthy to God. What you put in your mouth does not put you at odds with God. Now, this is like a brand new idea. Now, here's the the thing to remember. Jesus was a a hinge between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. 
Jesus had come to unleash something completely new in the world. But he was born, as Paul says, under the law. He was a law-abiding Jew who's about to introduce something better than the law that's going to supersede the law. Like your iPhone 5 was really cool then and it worked really great, but it was great for that day. But something better, by the way, has come along. Jesus has come along to introduce something better. So throughout his ministry, he would drop breadcrumbs to people, let him know something new's coming, something new's coming, something new's coming, something new's coming. So this was a shift. The law was about staying clean. It was all vertical. Is God happy? I want to make sure God's happy. I want to keep God happy. Eyes to the sky. Is God, ha- God happy? Jesus is saying that that day is coming to an end. What you put in your mouth no longer defiles you. But he says this, but what comes out of their mouth, that's what defiles them. So now they're saying, wait, wait, wait. What comes out of here are words and that affects people. So you're telling me that God is more bothered by how my words impact people? That God is more bothered by what we say than what we eat? This is completely new territory. And the conversation just ends. And so they walk off. Jesus started with a big crowd and the teachers and the Pharisees. And now they're left now with just a little crowd. Now the crowd has left. And now we're down to just him and his guys. And they're walking off. And Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, Hey, um... Like, of course, I understood exactly what you were saying, but um, some of the other guys are like still a little confused. So could you go over that just one more time and maybe just go a little bit slower? I mean, I got it. But for the others, I would just go a little bit slower. So this is such a new idea. And if this is really what we think it is, this is really big news. And so Jesus turns to his guys and I really think he was having fun with them, honestly. And he said, are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters your mouth goes into your stomach and then out of the body? And they're like, well, yes, we get it. Yeah, of course, goes in, you know, a little chuckle. And then he gets really serious. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. The things that come from someone's mouth comes from inside a person. And he uses this heart as this figure of speech. And now he gets really serious. And this defiles them. That's what defiles them. It's these things. What puts a person at odds with God, not what they eat, but how their words affect people that God loves. Those words that offend others offend God. As obvious as that might be for some of us, that was a brand new idea. This was complete reversal of everything that they had ever been brought up to believe. They had been brought up to believe to keep God happy and make that priority number one. You do that by doing certain things and not doing certain things. If other people aren't too happy, too bad. I got to keep God happy. Then Jesus says this, come back to me now, right now. If you're daydreaming or you're just hanging out there and you're just missing some of this, pay attention to this. Jesus says this, for out of the heart, come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. He says, from the heart comes all of these things that defile a person. Well, why do these things defile a person? Because they hurt people. And when 
You hurt people that God loves, you hurt God. And when you offend people that God loves, you offend God. And when you harm people, slander, take advantage of, it offends God. It's not what goes in. It's what comes out and how it affects other people. These, he said, these behaviors that affect other people, these are what defile a person. This is what makes God a little bit upset. They're saying, wait, wait, wait. So mistreating other people puts us at odds with God? Not breaking dietary laws and cleanliness laws? Jesus says, no, no, no. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So this is new. That our behavior will eventually mirror our hearts. Our hearts dictate. Our hearts dictates and becomes our behavior. The interesting part about this is most of you all know this. We know this. You've seen this in your life and you've seen this in the life of others. I mean, do you know anyone who blew up a career because of what came out of their mouth? Do you know anybody that's burned down a marriage because of their tongue? Do you know anybody who's alienated their children because of how they behaved at home? Do you know anybody who's destroyed a marriage because of how they behaved outside of the home? We know this. We look back at some of these people and realize, or even realize that some of us are some of these people. And we look back and we think, where in the world did that come from? So as I wrap up this conversation today, I want to talk about four emotions that should ding your conscience. When you think these thoughts or feel these feelings, when your mind starts to go down this trail, it should bother you. It should remind you or inform you that you actually have some work to do. Because if you don't deal with what's on the inside, it'll eventually make its way to the outside. And not only does it hurt you, and not only do you hurt the people you love the most, it's offensive to God. It's not offensive to God because he's so sensitive and emotional. It's offensive to God because God loves the people you hurt. God loves you. And when you love someone, you don't want to see them get hurt. You don't want to see them hurt themselves. And you don't want to see them hurt someone else. These are uh, internal intentions that demand our attention. So here they are. Four emotions to guard your heart from. Guilt, anger, greed, and jealousy. When you identify or feel these, you have work to do. There is something in you that has the potential to create chaos outside of you. Our, our tendency, right, is to wait until we've said something or done something to deal with it. But here, here, here's how it goes. Guilt says this, I owe you. I owe you an apology. I owe you something because I took something from you and you don't even know about it. Or maybe you do and I'm just too proud to admit it. Guilt says, I owe you. It, it leads to walls or being inauthentic or secret keeping, what's wrong? Nothing. What's wrong? Nothing. What's wrong? Nothing. It seeps into our relationships, our words. Now, anger says, you owe me because you hurt me. You took something from me. You either pay me back or I pay you back. Now, the problem with anger, and we all know this, is that anger leaks. Anger is not stationary. Anger is mobile. Anger leaks into our other relationships Another way of saying it is that anger is never isolated to the relationship of origin. 
In other words, you were hurt as a kid or you were hurt by that last job or you were hurt by that girl or the way he broke up with you or how, what you found out and you're carrying that anger. Anger says that you owe me and until you pay me back, I'm going to hold this over you and I'm going to hold it over anyone who reminds me of you. And long after you're out of my life, I'm still going to hold other people hostage the way you took it from me. Now greed says... I owe me. Greed is the assumption. It is all for my consumption. I know that you're in need and I know there's people who are struggling and I know the church is asked and I know the folks at work are like raising money for it. And as much as my heart goes out to them, my money does not. And as much as I feel sorry for what they're going through, I don't feel so sorry that I'm going to write a check because I owe me. And it's heartbreaking, but when it comes to actually writing that check to giving that money, there's just something. I can't justify it. And I actually hope no one knows what I have and what I did with what I have. I just, I owe me. You know what else happens with greed? And I think this is mostly maybe a guy thing because we're much more concerned about stuff. Mostly because I hear also stories that relate to men because we like stuff. If we're not careful, the people we love will feel like they're actually competing with our stuff that the car is more important than her or him, making sure it stays all buttoned up. Don't go in there. Don't touch that. Don't mess with the boat. Listen, when your children feel like they're competing with your stuff, you have a greed problem. You say, no, well, I just like nice stuff. No. When you like nice stuff more than you like your children, more than you like people, that should bother you. We don't want to make people feel like they're competing with something we own that we're going to leave behind and they're just going to sell it. And they're not even going to get a good price for it because they don't care. It's just a bad memory. Now, jealousy says, life owes me. Somebody got what I deserved. She got what I deserved. He got what I deserve. I was in line for that promotion and they didn't even talk to me. Boom, you know, like they put her right in there. Want to know what else is so bad about jealousy? It's like the grossest thing to me. It's just, yeah, that is in us. When I find myself celebrating someone else's loss or failure, I mean, come on, friends, what's worse than that? If that is in you and that is in me, that should set off an alarm bells in our conscience because it'll eventually leak. So when you feel it, when you see it, you have to address it. Now, if you're new to this Jesus thing or you're a new follower, I want you to know that this next steps that I'm going to give you to address these things are not me like shaking my finger at you. This is just Jesus follower 101. This is uh, the way of following Jesus. This will make your life better and make you better at life. It'll, it will make you a follower of Jesus. Actually, following Jesus will make you better a better husband, a better friend, a parent, a wife, a boss, a coworker, an employee. That's why Jesus' invitation is always, follow me, follow me, follow me. So these are four preventative heart exercises, and they are the opposite of what we feel or what we want to do. So what do we do with guilt? We confess, and not to God. Listen here. He already knows. He doesn't go, what? But this is how you were raised, right? You were told to tell someone you barely even know and you're never going to see in real life or you were told to tell God. 
Friends, the confession that heals and the confession that deals with guilt has to do with confession with someone who is in your life and ultimately to the person that you actually hurt and that you stole something from. Because what happens is secrets suck the life out of you. They suck the passion and the life out of a relationship. And if it's too big to confess it to the person that you actually hurt, then I beg you, the first step would be to confess to someone close in your life, a friend, and you just need to get it out. And when you get it out, you can look at it, and the chances are is you're going to be ready to take the next step. And when you do, there's going to be a measure of chaos out here. But there'll be a measure of peace in here. And this will eventually be something that you work through, but it will set yourself up for success in the future by doing the difficult work of confessing. Now, anger. We already know the answer. It's forgive. You know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is identifying specifically what was taken from me and deciding that you don't owe me anymore. It's not enough to say that I had a terrible dad or mom or boss. I know. But what did they specifically take from you? You have to write that down. Look at it and say, you don't owe me this anymore. I'm canceling the debt. That's what forgiveness is. Canceling the debt. To which we say, I just feel like I'm letting them off. You are. That's why it feels so bad. But you're letting someone else off as well. You. You're digging all that anger out of your heart. And you're saying, I will not be ruled by this anymore. It's not going to follow me into my next thing, my next relationship. It's not a part of my identity. So what do we do about greed? We give. We write some big to you checks. You know what that is? It's a check that is big to you. Maybe not big to me or the person living next to you, but to you, it's a big check. It may be a huge check compared to me, but to you, it's just a big check. So you write some big to you checks. You say, you know what, greed? You're not controlling me anymore. Watch this. I'm writing a check and I'm giving it away. If you want to get serious, like really serious, find something precious, an object, not a child, <laughs> not somebody, but a something. You find something precious and you sell it. You give the money away. These objects, you're saying, you're not going to control me anymore. I'm not against stuff, friends, and having stuff. But when it becomes the priority over people, you have a greed problem. Christians, we get to say, we don't trust in riches. We trust in him who richly provides. So now jealousy. We said that life owes me. If you want to deal with jealousy, you have to be willing to admit what the real problem is. It's not that life owes you. At the end of the day, if you're really honest, if you, be you believe, you believe that God owes you, this is not an issue between you and someone else. It has nothing to do with them. It actually has to do with you. Because you think God owes you because of what he didn't give you. And the truth is life happens. But God takes what happens and makes things happen. When we receive what comes our way, from his hands and ask him to do whatever he pleases. I'll tell you where I've learned that lesson. I, I learned that lesson watching Christians suffer. I've watched as many of you as well have suffered. Christians go through things with their family or children or illness or financial or any kind of thing that they didn't really deserve. But just life happens. 
where, where I mean that there's no explanation. And instead of becoming bitter, instead of becoming uh, comparing their bad fortune to everyone else's good fortune, somehow they just offer it up to God. They're the people I have the most respect for. And they're probably the people that you have the most respect for as well. Why? They just don't compare. They receive life from God and they say, God, this is what happened to me. Now what can you do with what happened? The way you respond to jealousy is you begin to celebrate. Celebrate what God has given you. And you begin to celebrate what God has given others. And celebrate out loud. Dear Sarah, congrats on the promotion. As you know, I was really hoping to get it, but I am genuinely excited for you. Love, so-and-so. Send it off in the mail. Friends, we are going to behave away from these things that have put an opportunity to pollute our heart and pollute our soul. So now you're going to look at guilt and you're going to say, no more, I'm confessing. You're going to look at anger and you're saying, guess what? I'm forgiving. I'm writing down everything that is owed. I'm throwing away debt paid off. You're going to look at greed and say, I'm going to give until I become a cheerful giver. Now, now some of you think that you actually have to be cheerful before you give. That's not true. You, <laughs> you, you give so you become a cheerful giver. If you wait until you are cheerful, come on, you will never give. Because the cheerfulness of giving is actually the response to what happens when God opens your hand and your heart and you realize that I'm actually happier and more at peace without it than I was clinging to it, collecting it, cleaning it, and ensuring it. Then, jealousy. You're just going to say, you know what? I'm going to look for opportunities all day long to celebrate others. Friends, I love you. I just want to ask you, I want you to ask yourself, is everything okay in your heart? Is everything okay in your heart? Is everything okay in your heart? Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it.